Welcome to the Canadian Workplace Culture Podcast, where we interview leaders and experts in workplace culture. Sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to the interview. Thank you so much, Lori, for joining us. Um, Lori, can you tell us a little bit, um, really describe your job and maybe the average work week as you would to a five-year-old or a 95-year-old? Ooh, what an interesting question. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Kent, for having me uh, part of your culture interview series, loving what you have created uh, for the Culture Index and the Reframe Group. Uh, and I love the topic. Uh, people will hear uh, that I love the topic of culture, um, having done uh, worked on that culture report as well. So what I'm doing today is I'm head of HR for a company called DNEG. Uh, it used to be called Double Negative, and now it's DNEG, and we are a global visual effects and animation studio. And we are in India, in London, in Montreal, Vancouver, and LA. So we've got 8,000 people across the globe, and we're growing. And it's a really interesting industry. It's my first time in this industry. I came from gaming and tech and mobile communities. So I've I've been in that world. However, in the film industry, and in a creative environment, it's it's definitely uh, more enriching and I'm just learning a lot. And what's a typical day? Wow. Well, my typical day is different than what I expected. When I started in October, it was all remote. I, I kind of joined six months after uh, everyone went back into the home, like into their homes, work, working from home. And so, it, I miss, you know, seeing people in the office. I, I've been to the studio a couple of times, but it's completely empty. <laughs> it seems so surreal. You see all the screening rooms and the theaters, and you know, I can only imagine what it was like—the buzz of our of our team. And now I just work from home, and I've only met my team twice. And so it starts off with a 9 a.m. Uh, meditation or connection on Wednesdays. It's called Water Cooler Wednesdays, and then on Fridays we have fun. Fridays. So we're just spending a lot of time staying connected, but also not wanting to get Zoom fatigue. And so managing that as well. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's just really busy right now. Awesome. Thank you so much for making the time uh, to meet with us and share. Um, how do you define culture at the highest level? And how would that definition change if we're talking about an organization? Uh, I love this question um, because when I was doing more of the culture work in my previous life, Spark Creations, it was all about what is culture. Like that was the first question that we would ask whenever we met with leaders and uh, want, wanting to do the work that uh, we were doing. And so our definition, and it's still my definition personally, is that it's the heart and energy of a human experience. It's the heart and energy of a human experience. And let me tell you why it's it's about that. Because for me, I believe that there is a culture within all of us, an individual. And so when I define culture, which is a set of beliefs and values, some people might add you know, your purpose or your mission or your why, uh, a vision, like everything that makes you you and unique and special, that's the culture within you. Well, now, if you join another partnership, maybe it's a marriage, a friendship, a relationship, just two people. Now you've got two individuals that are coming together with their set of values and purpose and vision. And now you're going to want to create a partnership, a shared culture now. And then you just keep adding more and more. So you can see where I'm going with this. It starts with the individual. Culture starts with us. You start bringing other people in. 
and then it starts to you know have a different dynamic and if you're now wanting to create a business or a service or product then you're going to have to get really clear because now you're going to work with each other to create impact and you want to do it in a way that honors everyone in that group so now you're going to share what you value most in life and then you're going to create shared values and purpose and that's why culture is so important it is a human experience it's all the people that are coming together I love that. I love the definition of the sort of the individual with the culture, them bringing their own culture. And uh, you made me think of the biocultures inside us at that first. Um, but certainly, um, there's so much more to what we all have and, and what we all bring to the table. If you could create the ideal organizational culture with no restrictions, such as time or cost, what are the first three things that come to mind for you? Yeah. So again, it's going to come back to what I used to do in my, in my life of culture work, we always start with defining what is culture. I think it's really important because culture is defined in so many different ways because we're all human, we all have life experiences and perspectives and lenses. So I think it's just really important for us to sort of hear what each other believes to be the definition of culture. And then when we, um, the next question would be, okay, so if what is our culture today because there is a culture within us already whether it's you're doing this for yourself or within an organization so after you define culture you then want to create you want to define what's the current state and then we would then define well what's the ideal workplace culture we want to create how do we want people to feel what do we want them to say what kind of lasting impact do we want to make in the world with with the people that we bring together and so once we have that clarity, then it's all about really getting clear about how we want to articulate that culture story for our organization, starting from the inside out. And I would do that by, again, it's always a personal experience, define all of our individual pers uh, personal values and purpose and vision, and then create that at a team level slash company level. Because here's the thing, when we define it for ourselves, it just makes it more meaningful when we start to share it with the world, right? So if you know what your values are, Kemp, and then you have reframe values, and then you start to go create this alignment or connection, which you probably just did naturally with Antonio, now you're going to feel really excited about sharing that with the world, or it just comes natural from all of you because it's a part of who you are. You don't have to pretend. It's the DNA that's, that's coming together to share it in, in words or a language that creates the culture. What are the, some of the things that restrict those things that are sort of time bound or financially bound that you would do without those restrictions? Um, does that look like a two week retreat where everybody just cultures down or um, is that, you know, everybody getting a massive culture package with the guide and the book or putting big posters up everywhere. Tell me about when you think about the, the process and making that successful. Um, if we remove sort of time and financial constraints, what are some of the things that you think would be really useful to do? Yeah, so, you know, Okay, again, I don't, again, this is culture for me is everything. So to say that there's a, a budget or a time, I mean, if, if people really care about them, uh, about their, what they're trying to create within their business, which is about people and their culture, then they're going to just create the time and they're going to create resources, which we know time is actually 
the hardest resources like for us or even in my current role when we're trying to get all the leaders together and trying to book time for them to talk about culture that's the hardest part is like where do we fit in having the conversation for so i would say time is actually the thing that sort of holds us back but let's let's say in an ideal world everyone gets how important culture is because culture eats strategy for breakfast you've heard that already right from uh, peter Rucker. so i would say um Keep it simple. I think just getting together, understanding. I would try to find who are the people who are the culture champions. It's harder to convince uh, people who don't really understand it. But if they're open to it, even not if they don't understand it, then I would say get those people together and just start having that culture conversation. And it's going to be a lifelong journey. So for me, you know, wh whenever you start and you have like a, a first draft of that culture vision or story just stay open that it's going to evolve because you're going to have different people come and go. And then that whole dynamic of your culture, as I shared before, is going to change because then you have a new person with a new set of values that's going to reignite um, the current culture. Yeah, definitely. I love when uh, new leaders bring, you know, bring, is interesting thing with a new leader, a new manager, the, the best ones always taught me and showed me that they really listened at, um, for the first couple of weeks and were kind of, you know, not gentle, but thoughtful about everything and, you know, understanding that there's already an existing culture. Um, and then they, you know, because they have that understanding, they're able to actually bring a lot of value um, with bringing their own culture and then sort of in an integrated fashion that's very conscious of what's going on as opposed to the person who arrives on day one and, you know, knows what to do and has a lot of plans um, without talking to everybody. Well, I love that you shared that because my first 90 day plan, I, I shared it with everyone. It was based on three words. I'm going to listen, learn and love, nice. listen, learn and love. And I feel, you know, now I feel like that's just a, a, a good mantra for anyone who is going into a new organization or a new relationship or or anything like we really need to take the time to listen, really learn and understand what's going on. And then I feel a sense to create belonging. We need to care for one another. Definitely. So on the other end of the spectrum, when you think of poor organizational culture, what are the first three things that come to mind? Uh, I would say there's lack of clarity hmm. around their culture. They haven't taken the time to be intentional with it. I think it just sort of I, I just is happening organically, which I think for a lot of smaller companies that can still be okay because the founders or the people who are leading the company you know the culture that comes within them naturally they're still in the day-to-day -day conversations they're still interviewing and meeting with people where it gets a bit tricky is when you start to grow and they can't be at every meeting they can't be at every interview and so then who is really sharing the vision and the culture you have if you are not gathering all the leaders and they're just kind of you know, sharing it and feeding it down throughout the organization, then it just, there's, what happens is that there's going to be no clarity, which causes misalignment, miscommunication, and as a result, disengagement. People are just not going to know why they're there. Why are we doing what we're doing? Like, I just feel like there's a disconnect to the, the overall, you know, purpose of the company. And so that's why I just feel Start with the culture story, even if you don't have it all figured out, just start having that conversation to understand more about who you are as a company or the leaders and what is it that you want to create in the world. Nice. So, um, perfect. 
So before your current role leading people in culture internally at an organization, you're a consultant in the same space. Tell me about some of the biggest roadblocks your customers faced to the end goal that you had in mind for them. Hmm. It's going to be time. Yeah. I think that every so people have good intentions. A lot of the clients that we dealt with maybe um, were coming to us because now they're feeling a lot, a lot of pain, right? They're losing a lot of good people. There's leadership changes or there's misalignment with the leadership. Whatever the case may be, there's something that's not going well within their organization. And that's when they, when it's already a little bit too late that they come to us and say, can we help us? We need you. What we really love and encourage people is to again start that now be proactive it's it's just like i i you know just to bring it back to a personal experience like think about it camp like if you you know which one would you rather do option a you wake up every morning and you have clarity as to you know why you're in this world why you exist in this world what you're going to create and what matters most to you so that you can lead live and lead your life with intention or you just wake up and you're just like ah you know i'll just kind of See what kind of comes my way and and uh, you know let ha life happen to you almost on autopilot oh you see someone on Facebook and they're doing this ah maybe I'll try that that looks really interesting right and then you figure out it's not really what you want to do so you see there's one that's really purposeful and then there's one that's sort of meandering through life which again it's it might work for some but I think that people who are, are you know more fulfilled in their life do it with intention and that's the same thing for companies nice so what's preventing um organizations and leaders from being proactive about their organizational culture <sighs> well besides time i think um there just could be lack of awareness um a lot of the companies that we worked with and even some of the leaders that i interact with on a day-to-day -day, if there is uh, some close uh they're not as open or they're not they're close to this idea of workplace culture or focusing on people or they might say oh that's such that's so touchy-feely and fluffy kind of work for me that is um kind of a flag that either they're just not self-aware of what's really important to them or they're just maybe not you know ready or educated around what is you know what's really important around culture and people and so for me i just kind of meet where people at we're at and find out well what's what do you think is kind of you know getting in the way why why is there a bit of fear why is there not you're not able to make the time what's really getting in the way and then try to get to them to figure out well why is this really important because they're coming to us anyway for some support so we can still connect it to something that's meaningful to them but we just kind of have to figure out kind of how to get there but usually it's just time fear not knowing um and just not really uh being aware of the the current situation Nice. Um, I'd love to hear a story or two um, about impactful lessons that you learned as a consultant in the people and culture space. Um, and I'm thinking about, you know, successes and um, not failures, but uh, uh, learning opportunities. Um, you know, when were you surprised by an outcome? Um, you know, wh when did things go really well? Um, and and what, what was that all about? Tell us, tell us a story. Um, about the success you found or a success? Hmm. Well, I'm going to start with um, 
a story that was really difficult, but it was a, a, a lifelong, like it was a, it was a lesson, a lesson that I learned. So in my previous corporate job before going into consulting, which actually inspired me to go into the work of culture strategy, um, I was in my role. We hired a, a, a consultant to come in to help us define our values and our purpose. And we were like in this room for hours, just looking at words and wordsmithing and trying to, you know, trying to find the best way, innovation, teamwork, you know, just kind of doing what we thought we were supposed to do. But really there was no connection to it. It was just like, oh, look, look at this company and go to their website. Oh, look at this company. So finally, we go through this process and we come up with some statements. We're really excited. I'm like, okay, we're gonna do this communication plan. We're gonna have all hands meetings once a month. We're gonna create recognition awards. We're gonna put it on t-shirts and mugs. Like we went all out, we spent, tons of money on marketing and communication and we thought we were doing it the right way right it was like you know point a to point b and then one of our leaders made a decision that was completely off what we were saying on our walls and on our website and on our mugs and that just like everything just kind of fell uh like imploded and and that was the start of the mistrust within the organization. And eventually some of the leaders left and myself left. And it was just, it was, you know, it was just wasn't really good. And what I learned after the fact was we were, we were really just doing it from a marketing perspective. Like we were like, oh, well, let's focus on employment branding. And we didn't really understand the the big why behind it. And it was, it was, we were just in autopilot as i shared before so that was a big lesson because then when i started spark we then wanted to make sure it was more meaningful and that we took the time to understand the why behind any client that we work with or any leader making sure that that it was a personal connection to it it wasn't just something that they saw someone else do and they were doing it for the wrong reasons so that was a big lesson that i learned and i'm trying to think of something that was very positive um there's so many different examples camp that's um, exciting <laughs> <laughs> well because we worked with over 100 companies over a 10-year wow. period um you know i think that probably the biggest i don't have a specifics yeah no problem uh, but what i would say is like you know when there's a leader in the room and you can tell that they are not 100 percent all in but maybe the CEO or the HR leader brought us in because they felt it was really important. And when you have the CEO on your side, like that's like, that's just gold. But if, if we, if you, it's the CEO or somebody on the team that's that's a key stakeholder isn't hundred percent in. And then we go through the process and we just say, just, you know, please just trust us and we're going to go through this. It's not going to make a lot of sense right now by, but by the end of this process, we guarantee you, you're going to go through it. Because again, that whole not being self-aware, not having gone through any of this type of work before, it's a bit scary for a lot of people. So at the end of that, when we're going around the circle and we're doing some gratitudes and commitments around, you know, as a leader and or owner of the company, what are they committed to? And that person who in the beginning said, I don't, I don't know if we should do this. Like it's going to cost us a lot of money. Maybe it's, you know, too much time. They were the ones that were so gung ho and eager to like, let's do this. And that's, I think, 
that's that's the icing on it. I mean, that's why we do what we do. Thank you. Just taking a couple notes. That's a great story. Um, that your skeptic became your champion, and your, yes, and, your and your stories and your communications and your process worked. Yes, you're awesome. so good at just bringing it home together. <laughs> Long-winded <laughs> answer, but yes, the skeptic. Well, you can't you can't tell a story in one sentence, and the story mm -hmm. is how you get that wonderful lesson in the end. Yes. Yeah. Um, tell me about a time when you were able to build, to create and build culture successfully. Um, what was the hardest part of that experience? You know, maybe going back to those hundred companies and the, some of the grind, some of the push. What was the most challenging part? And I've already thought of an answer you might come up with, but uh, surprise <laughs> me. Because <laughs> I've said it already. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's embedded in some of your time previous answers. About the time and schedules. Okay, so let's just say that they're creating time and they've committed and they're all ready to go and now we're 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 in the process of of you know supporting them to define their culture as well i think the integration is probably the the hardest part because here's the thing you spend hours and hours sometimes it's a three-day you know company you know retreat with the leaders or maybe it's in a span of bi-weekly sessions over six or 12 months it just depends on the company and what they really want to create but when we get to the integration part and you're sitting there and you're like, everyone's committed. We're like, okay, we're gonna do this and this and this, and we're gonna, and everyone has their action items and we have co-leads for each of the different areas. What I've, what I've found tricky is that once we stepped out of the organization, um, whether they had an internal champion or the leaders were all the champions, some of them struggled with just following through with the action items. So, you know, the ones that wanted to continue having us come in and check in on them, holding them accountable, like coming into their management meetings every quarter or every month, those ones were the most successful because they had this consultant coming in, or if I'm internal, the HR person hold, holding the, the people accountable because again, it, it's um, life gets in the way, work gets in the way. There's a lot of different initiatives. And so I think the accountability and um, and the integration process can be tricky for some. And that's the same thing for everyday life, right? <laughs> try, to, try to do a fitness thing or, or a, a diet or whatever nutrition um, goal. And there's always something. So setting that intention in the beginning, but also accountability and having an accountability partner, which is generally who we were, for a lot of them, those were really the the ways to kind of follow through. Awesome. Yeah, that was my my thinking was that you were going to say something about people, and you know, you, you just can't. You know, the hardest part is changing someone's mind or getting someone on board uh, potentially um, to create and culture successfully, particularly with the follow through component. I think that's where you really um, opened my eyes to. Of course, when you leave, making sure that they continue to drive those things uh, and continue to do those things to support the plan that they put in place and all the efforts they made. Yeah, I mean, you do you do bring a good point about changing behaviors and changing mindsets. And I think the reason why that didn't come up as my first response is because we do spend a lot of time at the beginning um, really clarifying their why and their values and why as a group or individually they want to do this. And, and, and until we felt they were ready to commit to go all in, we wouldn't have followed. We wouldn't have started because it's not been successful for us to just force you know, let's just do this when there wasn't a hundred percent commitment. So only when they're a hundred percent committed at the start in however way we've interpreted that commitment, whether they voiced it out or you can feel it, 
it's it's you know getting them through the journey and then following through into the integration that has been tricky um, but at the beginning if there was anyone that we felt wasn't 100 percent all in what we've generally done in the past is said you know what maybe this is something that you as a team want to discuss a little bit more and get really clear about if this is the right time for it and if you're ready because if you are it will take some time and every one of you you know putting putting 100 percent effort into it yeah it reminds me of just the consultant life being a consultant <laughs> I, I was you just took me back there and the number yeah. of strategic plans I created and was well compensated for, but sadly never made it into um, the process. And as a consultant, you're like so excited to get the business that you don't always, uh, you know, work preemptively to fire your clients, you know, who, who when you, asking, hey, when I'm done with this plan, do you have an employee that's going to, um, you know, going to activate on this plan and continue to drive it forward? Or, you know, what does the resourcing look like, especially yeah. from a marketing or sales perspective? Um, it's an interesting one. Um, what are the most impactful things that you do or you've done um, to translate the organizational vision for the team? So what are some of those strategies that you gave leaders? You know, what were the things that worked the best after those sessions as you're looking to integrate those cultural components into the business that were done to translate that vision and those values to the team? Yeah, it's so for 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 me um, and when I, when I had the company Spark, what was really important once they all had a personal experience was for them to then create their own sort of stories around around the culture story. So there's the culture vision, but then you want the leaders or whoever's part of that group of people that are now going to execute and implement the culture story throughout the organization to have their personal stories. I really believe in the power of storytelling um, and, and sharing personal experiences and having that personal connection because then that becomes real for the person that's communicating it to their team. So once they have that, then it's all about communication. Like we actually work really closely on, on like part of the big, big part of the implementation is the communication strategy and ensuring people understand, starting with the people who are going to communicate, understand what it is. And once they do, then they have certain ways to share that with the rest of the organization. And in a way that allows people to feel like they're part of the process. So the other thing that I, that I, um, that we did even along the process of defining their culture is that they, we would even if it was a smaller group in the fine tuning. So we would get the whole organization to define their values and be part of that process. But once we were like, you know, trying to distill it into certain statements, there was always a process of going out to the organization and gathering their thoughts. For us, it's about inclusivity, inclusivity, like an inclusive, an inclusive process along the way. That's how you build buy-in. So by the time you unveil what the culture is or vision is, then it's it's like they they've known about it for a long time. Like they've been a part when they when it first started. They all knew all along what the process was going to be. They knew when the leaders were in the more in the meeting room what they were working on. And then after each of the meetings, there would be an update to say, "Here's what we've done so far." So. When you have constant and, and consistent communication along the journey, and then um, the people feel like they've been part of the process, and then you also want them, another great way to really integrate is to have so almost like um, we used to do, we used to encourage our, our clients to do culture hackathons, where they would say, okay, here's our culture vision, here are our values, our purpose, and now we would love for you in your little mini groups to design think on how best we can integrate this with the organization. And that, 
I saw so I saw a company one of our one of our clients do this, and you should have seen all of the people. They came up with ideas that we didn't even think about to actually bring the culture to life, and so that's another great way. So I think it's always about inclusivity, communication. Um, consistent communication and then bringing people along in the best in, in the process so that they feel um yeah they're, that they're a part of it awesome thank you so much um this is a new one um a lot of hiring managers across the country and around the world are dealing with an increasingly challenging hiring environment mm -hmm. what would you recommend to smaller companies to, to what what can they do to compete with bigger companies when they can't compete purely on remuneration or pay it's all about culture. Okay. Culture. So if I were a smaller company right now, which there are tons of new companies, whether it's in our industry or in tech or in whatever industry, there's a lot of startup companies, especially in Vancouver, and you're trying to compete in a world where there's hardly anyone around, right? Like like what we're facing in our industry is that there's no there's, a, there's hardly any local people and we're gonna have to go externally or you know offer remote um, opportunities. And so as a smaller organization, again, define who you are. If you have a really cool story and you're able to market that story from an authentic place and it's really clear, people will be drawn, people will be drawn to that. You know, I, I, I think about those CEOs who share their letters to their employees and they make it public or their stories on, on YouTube or Instagram, whatever social media marketing way, but it's about story. Right. If I connect to your story about why you exist as a company and it's and it's something that connects to me as a person, I'm going to want to join your company. And that's why it's important because when, when I think about how it was before, like, let's just think about like 30 years ago when there wasn't really around, there wasn't really about talk about culture in the way it is right now. And you just apply for a job and it's like project manager. Right. And you got this really boring job description or job posting and the company has their little boring kind of description as well. But it's nothing like there's not really this personal or like this is our, why we exist as a company. And, and then this is, you know, why I am, you know, who I am as a person. So there's no clarity around, you know, sort of the the the, the bigger. I don't know how to say it, but there's this really personal connection. Now that there is, we can then do more of a you know a stronger match because if I'm really clear as to what matters to me as an individual and that company is now I can make that connection if the company's not clear and I'm not clear as an individual then we're all lost we're all just kind of connecting like pictures look good <laughs> it's like dating right the pictures look good you know <laughs> I like kind of like what the person said yeah, it looks good. And, you know, and then so then you 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 match, you apply for the job. You think you, you know, this is the great, great place to work. And you realize within the first month that it's not the right job for you or the manager is not the right. So that's why it's so, so important for every individual team or organization to take the time to define who they are and uh, what matters most to them. Awesome. Thank you. Um, sometimes organizational culture is not a good fit between employees and companies. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to others to help them figure that out for themselves, whether they're the hiring manager or the applicant? Um, you know, maybe even before they apply, what are some of the things that you would recommend to folks to figure out if it's a fit? Yeah, I mean, I just kind of shared it. It's it's about defining your values. And, you know, just learning more, you know, whether you call it values, beliefs, 
you know, who are you and what, what is it that you care about as an individual? If you take the time to really understand who you're, who you are, then you can better communicate that to other people. And the confidence and courage comes from that sense of knowing as well. It's only, it's only when you don't know who you are that you get nervous and someone asks you a question. You're like, mm, I don't know what the answer to this. I don't know what my strengths are. I don't know what I dislike or like. But if you do know who you are, then it's easier for you to communicate effectively what is important to you. And then there could be a better match. And that same thing would be for hiring managers out there. Really get clear what the culture is within the organization. What What is this uh, individual that you hire? What's the potential for them to learn and you know you know you want to share more about the the role than just the actual duties and responsibilities because people i feel the skills part you know we were all we all kind of have a baseline in canada anyways of education right so now that you have education now you're looking at experiences but you know if you want to minimize the unconscious bias around you know limiting you know certain things that we focus on then then, then it's going to be about the person as a whole, which is beyond their education and the skills. Awesome. Uh, a little follow-on question. Um, what recommendations do you have for an organization um, when things aren't a fit? Um, you know, some groups like to do, you know, performance improvement plans or they'll give people a couple months. Um, what can, you know, uh, people and culture leaders and managers do to you know, figure, make that fit find a bit quicker and potentially move people on that aren't working out uh, more rapidly to improve the business. Yeah, I think it's going to be checking in with the individual and, and really taking the time to get to know them. But like now re remotely or even in a hybrid situation, it's a little bit uh, challenging to, to, to have that personal connection on video. Like we're trying to do that right now as much as we can, but it would have been better if I was there and we were having this personal connection. And I think it's the same thing for, for managers and or team members. When you're in a relationship, I think it's really important to start off with defining, you know, what the key expectations of that relationship are. Create, you know, a trust agreement is something I always share, which is really uh, defining what trust means to each of you and you know what kind of support do you need how do you like to receive feedback so if you get all of those items uh, declared and agreed upon and there's an understanding of what's important for each person in that relationship at the get-go at the beginning then it's easier um, to you know have that foundation there to then build a relationship and then hopefully the the trust is built that you have more open communication you're more consistently checking in on each other. So by the time any challenges come up, it's already it's already been talked about because it's so proactive versus, you know, sometimes you hear about people are they're not really checking in for a long period of time, which causes, you know, mistrust or like, mm, I wonder I wonder what my boss really thinks about me. And then that creates more stress and overwhelm. We don't want to do that, especially in a in a remote environment. So I think more consistent connections will support you to minimize and you will get to know exactly what's happening. And if there's really that trust in that relationship, you won't have to have that difficult situation, a uh, difficult conversation because there would be, you know, they might even come to that conclusion that maybe this isn't the right place for me, but there's this trust of being able to open, have open and uh, courageous conversations. Yeah, definitely. I think when, when this topic comes up, you know, people tend to, 
really speak to what you've described, which is higher touch, uh, higher communications, open, honest conversations that result in everybody knowing kind of you know where things are going and and what the path to to success or the way out are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of talk in the people and culture space about, you know, human resources doesn't use technology well, doesn't leverage technology well. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. I'm not as experienced as you are or others. Do you think that's the case generally in the human resources space? Uh, so the, the statement is that we don't use technology that well. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a lack of tech use in, in human resources in general not among like the front wave i don't i don't think I'm, you know I'm what thinking more. yeah i think that statement might have been a little true maybe 20 years ago but i think as as we have uh seen those hrs systems and, mm -hmm. and can tracking systems and you know there's a lot of more focus on data analytics I, I i don't know if that that i could say that we're not as you know tech savvy because you know, where we are using the tools that are provided, especially if you work in a larger organization, like you, it just gets more robust. And mm -hmm. I almost feel like there's too much, too much technology and we're like hiding behind the technology and not enough human connection. Because, you know, there was a there was a time even when I was on the panel about technology and they were asking me, so Lori, uh, how about AI and using that for like uh, recruitment and interviews? And I said, you know, as much as I know it's efficient, I don't know if I if I were a candidate that I would just want to talk to a robot. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the resume screeners, the keyword resume screeners yeah. are kind of the first example of that, and then it goes deeper and deeper. And I think with um, software developers in particular, some of them don't like some of the things that they're asked to do. Um, there are some systems that kind of test your capabilities, and there are others where they feel like they're doing um, like piecework, where they're actually doing being asked to do real work. And it's like, well, you know, am I here to provide free work or am I here to for my skills to be assessed? Um, and some of those tools that are doing that. Yeah, I think if it was more for accountability and goal setting, um, when it's about communicating uh, information, when it's about being able to access information that relates to the individual or with, to yourself if you're the employee, like those self-service uh, options, I think those are all great ways to improve or elevate the workplace experience because you just want to make it easy for the individual to do the work. And so you don't want to have any issues around their pay or benefits or trying to add people or, or any of those types. So you want to just keep it really simple so that they have a peace of mind and they can just focus on the job that they've been hired for. You betcha. So this year, two companies, Coinbase and Basecamp, uh, made public announcements regarding their organization's desire to not weigh in on political and sensitive topics. Mm. This, this is seen from two different extremes, either as a very smart move or as a not so smart move. Basecamp, for example, uh, had a third of their staff leave after this. Um, Basecamp is a very cool a little startup that was developed from an agency. It's a project management software. And it's led by two white males. And some of the statements were that, you know, you can only make such a statement if you come from a place of privilege. So clearly there's a lot of sensitivity around everything in our world right now. How do you think organizations can navigate this increasingly challenging world where taking a side on an issue may alienate the opposing group? How do you see these moves by these organizations? 
so interesting you asking me this question because <laughs> the reason why I was late for our call was because I was finishing an email that we were going to send out early next week on Canada Day. So mm. one of the things that we do in this organization is that we send reminders about our statutory holidays, which is new for me, but I think we it's just something that we've always done, right? We let people know, hey, don't forget that it's Canada Day. Don't come into work. <laughs> actual statutory holiday. So we wrote the email and originally was going to send it out Monday morning and we were already going to focus on the indigenous um, community and you know we had some we had a we had a session on June 21st to celebrate uh, National Indigenous Peoples Day and then an, another event just three weeks later from the 215 um, you know, bodies of ch the children that were that were found at the Kamloops Residential School. Another 751 were now found in Saskatchewan at another residential school. And you know, I'm 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 sitting here looking at the email that we were originally going to send out, which you know was still focused on 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 our community, uh, Indigenous community. However, there was a different kind of a tone of lightness because we were trying to balance it out for more of a balanced communication you know depending on where people were at and it could be seen as a political political statement um, and at the same time you know i'm you know i'm a human being i'm writing the email and i'm i'm just feeling really heartbroken and wanting to to do justice to say and honor and respect the people who are hurting from this devastating event or events. I mean, it's gonna be ongoing, it's over a thousand now, and we haven't even gone through all the different schools. Um, and so how we're approaching it is we wanna use, we, we've been engaging with our, you know, in, in, equity, diversity, inclusion, um, employee resource groups, there any anyone in our company that has had more experience around around this around the topics we're just being more um inclusive and just making sure that we've had multiple people to weigh in on on the best way to communicate this uh just to make sure we've covered everything and so i think that's what we're doing is just being being more participative including people and and doing it together versus only on one thing and also just being sensitive of when we send things out um, my view on that whole Basecamp and Coinbase is, is more, it, I think it's one way of doing things, let's just say that. Um, and I think for, for us as an organization where I'm at right now, we really want to create a culture where people feel they belong and that their voice is heard. And so we're just going to approach it from that place. Have, have we allowed people to share their voice and their stories? and do we do we write and communicate or celebrate certain days that allow people not no matter where they come from to feel you know a part of it and that's that's all we can do and you know what we're not going to always get it right Ken. we're going to make mistakes we're going to we're going to fumble in our words and uh, it has happened before in the past where we maybe said something where it was too late or we didn't say enough um or it didn't seem as meaningful and so we're just going to keep doing the work personally starting with myself to learn as much as i can about in the the canadian the true canadian history and then uh, just keep um asking for support and not feel like we have to do it alone yeah definitely support and there are a lot of people out there with a lot of expertise i know um for me i sit on the parent advisory council uh, at my children's school and 
there are so many different things um, that we work on to bring experts in, whether it's social emotional learning or, you know, youth sexual health or the Canadian Indigenous story um, or, you know, uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. There's a lot of um, a lot that has to happen, whether you're um, helping a, a school of 400 students or a staff of 50 or 5000 for sure. Yeah, I think it's just it, it keep educating, right? There's so much to learn that we I didn't even know I didn't learn any of this growing up. And I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, went to school here, elementary and, and high school. Never heard of anything about the residential school. I learned about it maybe two years ago, the earliest from from a from a mastermind session. And one person um, saw a speaker speak about it was so moved by it that he really wanted to be to share it with us. And so lots of learning for for all of us and we just need to keep learning yeah definitely so um we're gonna finish up with a couple questions here i'm gonna ask you kind of get into your time machine so to speak um tell us a story about being a more junior team member um where you had an experience with good organizational culture what was it like how did it make you feel what did you learn from it Ooh, when i was younger uh, you're a junior team member. You don't have to be younger, but what I mean by junior team member is you're not a leader. You're not making decisions. Um, you know, you're you're more entry level in an organization um, or in your role. Yeah, I mean, my my first uh, job out of university was at Electronic Arts, and uh, you know, I still keep in touch with my HR team, my original HR team, and if you can believe it, two people that were from that team are still there. So they they're there for over 20 years. They haven't left. Um, and so my memory of that team and that culture is that I learned so much. You know, being in a large organization, and I was able to take everything I learned and take it to my next place where I was the HR manager, which was a smaller mom and pop shop. So what I appreciated about that experience is working with the team and working for then and still now a very popular company. Um, I remember getting the job and not really understanding <laughs> what interactive entertainment was. I mean, I used to play video games when I was younger, but it had been at least 15 years since I you know, touched a game. And uh, Every time I would say I worked at Electronic Arts, people would go, oh my gosh, you work at Electronic Arts. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of fun. Oh, can't hear you. Sorry, what did, what did you learn from it about good culture? What, what was like, what, you know, what was it that you were, you know, for me, I think I didn't know what that my first role in a major company that stuck around for a long time was a great culture because I you kind of have to go to grow you kind of have to go to look back and realize wow oh wow not everyone has all these great things what were the things at EA that that really showed you what good culture was yeah you know that's a good question because I I went around it because I all I remember about the culture is the team that I really worked with every day and that team and how they support were supportive and you know even introduced the concept of duvet days which is like at the time no one really talked about mental health then you know in 1999 but we already knew that if we needed to take some time off all we had to say is hey i need a duvet day on thursday and it was you know now i use it in my, my own team right so th that's what really comes to my mind because at the time i d i still didn't understand what culture is i just felt it 
um, within the within the team that I was working with. But as a whole, as a whole organization, I mean, it, it, it was a it was a demanding culture, right? It was really work hard, play hard, video games, long hours, and all of that. So um, I would I would take. I would take more about what I learned from my my leader who actually became my mentor for many, many, or still is my mentor, um, but she was my first boss, Stephanie Milliken. And so I would take her as my leader, um, knowing how to be a, the leader that I am today is from her and also what really makes a great team. Amazing. That question always, there, usually it comes out with some sort of mentor or leader, some person who cared enough and did enough to make a big impact and was super positive. And um, it's so interesting that the, the question is really, you know, what is good culture as a junior employee? And the answer is almost always, I had a leader who believed in me and gave me an opportunity. Yeah, and she did. She did believe in me. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Tell, okay, final question. Um, tell us a story about being a junior team member where you had an experience with bad culture, bad organizational culture. What was it like? How did it make you feel? What did you learn from it? Maybe you're in food service, maybe you're in the kitchen, maybe you're in retail in the early days, who knows? Hmm. I did have a lot of retail jobs before. <laughs> I, w I used to work at Louis Submarine um, at Metrotown at the old food fair uh, while I was still in high school. <sighs> so this would be a bad experience or a not, not so great culture? Yeah, just just like you know, looking back, you're like it was not a good experience. Uh, you know, the the organization, the culture in the group or the team was negative or not positive, um, and maybe it impacted you or affected your your ability to be excited about coming to work every day. You know, it's a hard question for me to ask, uh, to answer, Kemp. And here's why: is because uh, I've always you know taken any type of experience and tried to look at the good from it. You know, like even when I had a hard, there was a hard moment in my last corporate job, but I, but I saw it as an opportunity of learning and growth. Um, and so it's, it's tricky for me to say, or to, to even, you know, pinpoint an experience over a team that wasn't a good experience. Like, I don't know. I just don't feel <laughs> That's okay. You don't have to answer every question and you don't have yeah. to give me the type of answer that I'm looking for. Yeah, I yeah. think. I think, um, you know, here, you know, I kind of go back to my thinking that when I get something wrong or I'm not successful, I learn a lot uh, about why it wasn't successful and I analyze it, um, especially from a marketing perspective, right? Um, when things go really well or they're successful, we're like, great, chalk it up. It was another success. Um, and I think, you know, the, the story here is kind of like, well, when it's not great, there's a lot of learning to be had because, you know, it's something plain to see. Whereas sometimes when it's good, you don't even notice that you have good organizational culture. So that's sort of a little bit where I'm coming from is there those opportunities to learn. I love hearing that you, you know, you're always looking at the good and taking the good. That's a, you know, that if you could only bottle that and sell it, people will buy it big time. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um, so uh, who comes to mind that you'd recommend I interview for this series about organizational culture? This won't be in the interview. Mm. Have you connected with Lindsay? She used to be Hannigan, but I think she, her her last name is updated. She's the head of people for Clio. Okay, awesome. Uh, and it's Lindsay with L Y. Yeah. Yeah. Thank and you. I will look she, her up. She's amazing. Uh, Lindsay Dyer, D Y E R. Okay. Um, and another person would be Tracy McDonald. 
who is the director of talent for um, Tracy McDonald. I just forgot her company all of a sudden. Uh, one second here. Think if it. Nice. Awesome. Perfect. And I can make you intros to both of them if you like. Awesome. Yeah. When the time comes. Yeah. Uh, you just tell me when. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, Lori, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your insights and expertise. Um, we're so grateful and uh, we hope to speak with you again in the future. Yeah, thank you so much, Kent. That was so much fun. Thanks again for joining us. Please note that we're always looking for interview candidates and would love your recommendations. Let us know who we should be speaking with by emailing us at info at or get in touch with us through any social network.